Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk for the first time in like a month. Mitch and Steve. Yeah, I was here last and week. And not just Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. You picked a hell of a week to miss last week. Uh, shout out to Trev for being here and being my sounding board last week. But um, I decided to do the show solo last week thinking yeah. like, oh, we haven't been on in a couple of weeks. I got a lot I want to get to, a lot I want to talk about. And I did all this show prep. Look at you doing show prep. Finally. And then I was like inching my way towards turning the microphone on and Sham Sharania tweeted out that Bradley Beal might be coming to the Suns and so we just blew out the whole show and all last week all we did was talk for two straight hours about the ramifications of a possible Bradley Beal trade. Here we are a week later. It's reality. What amazing week it was, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Also, you know what else I'm tired about? Just a just a side note before we get into the obvious top story of the week. I'm so tired of news coming down after we're off air. Yeah. Just generally speaking. This was a nice change of pace. We actually got news before the show. <laughs> that was that was magical. Oh, and you know what? Speaking of, I'm seeing a Suns tweet out right now. Oh, no. This looks official. Is it big? This is from the Suns. Thank you at CP3 for all you did for the Valley. Chris Paul is a Sun, two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, 2021-22 NBA assists per game leader, 2021 Western Conference champion. This trade, if this is what I did, yep, this trade is now official. Okay. So what a way to start. The Suns officially have Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, and Isaiah Todd. Yeah, interesting. So a lot last Saturday, we didn't know any of the details, right? Because it, as the last time that I got off the air, it was still the Miami Heat were in the mix and yep. the Suns were in the mix, but Shams had mentioned the— Suns twice in that tweet. In a two-sentence tweet, he mentioned the Suns twice. Right. So it felt legit. The things that have evolved over the course of the week, not only did you get Bradley Beal, you did it without giving up DeAndre Ayton, mm-hmm. something that we talked about last week was a possibility. How much is it going to take? Uh, we found out how many draft picks they gave up, basically all of them, except for the one that they used in the draft on Thursday night. And like you mentioned, they actually got... Isaiah Todd and Jordan Goodwin, who honestly a lot of people probably don't know much about, but Isaiah Todd was a five-star prospect at one point in time. So there's clearly a lot of raw potential for that player. And Jordan Goodwin, from what I've heard, uh, listening to some of the Empire of the Suns podcast with uh, Kevin Zimmerman and Kellen Olsen, that's a really good defense-first player who's going to play like a Josh Okoge role. Not just some throw-in. No, by any means. I mean, he is essentially a throw in, but I think he can be worth a lot to a team that doesn't have a lot of wiggle room to add players. But I think like when you look at trades, generally speaking, uh, we'll use the we'll use baseball as an example. Remember when Juan Soto was traded to the Padres? I do. And they also got Josh Bell in that deal. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, that's a nice little throw in. But at the time, Josh Bell was not a throw in. He was, he was an all star. He was a couple he? of years removed from an all star campaign. He was hitting very well. And now he had just been added to a team that was on a playoff push and desperately needed his bat in the lineup. I see Jordan Goodwin in the same light. And you think about this Suns bench and this Suns roster, he could be seeing minutes instantly. For this team. Yeah, he certainly could have a role, especially since we talked about, you know, you've got Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. Those are three offense first players. I think Durant and Booker deserve more credit for their defense. 
Uh, I don't know much about Bradley Beal defensively, but from what I've heard, it's probably average to below average as a player, generally speaking. So you're going to have to find a lot of those players that want to come to Phoenix that are comfortable with not getting the ball because the usage rates can only add up to 100%. Right. And if Durant's going to take 30 year shots and Booker's going to take a 30 year shots and Beal's going to take a 30 year shots, that there's no more shots. <laughs> There's and, nothing left, so and, you're going to need some guys who do the the dirty work. And specifically to Beal, who was probably he was the highest usage player on the Wizards this past season. Absolutely, right? He's a 30 points per game guy coming from Washington. He's a he's a former All NBA. I think he was third team a couple of years ago, multi time All Star, et cetera, et cetera. But this is going to have to be a big adjustment, specifically for Bradley Beal. He's not the guy in Phoenix anymore. He's the third guy. Exactly. And I wonder if, granted, it's a no-trade clause that he had to waive to come here, so I'm sure publicly he's going to admit he's accepting of it, but is he going to be accepting of it? Yeah, see, I actually wondered this last week when we were kind of spitballing this trade as an idea. I wondered how will a player who takes so many shots feel in an offense where Kevin Durant's got to get the ball. Yep. Devin Booker has to have the ball. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest scorers of all time. This is still Devin Booker's team. You are the third wheel. Now, that doesn't mean you're insignificant or that you don't play a big role. There's going to be some games where Kevin Durant doesn't play at all because they feel comfortable rolling the other two. Or because he's hurt. Same thing with Devin Booker. There might be games where he doesn't play because you still feel pretty good about Beal and Durant. Or because he's hurt. So they're going to, right, because they're going to stagger these guys. None of these guys are, are perfectly healthy with a perfect track record. So on that level, you're going to have opportunities. You know, to that point. But when I'm, all three are on the court, who takes the last shot? I'm actually curious. I'm glad you brought that up. How much time are they actually going to spend all three of them at once on the floor? I would imagine the start. Start of games, end of games. And I would imagine the finish. Yeah. Like, how much in between of Durant, Beal, and Booker at the exact same time are we going to see from the Suns? Regular season? Let's start probably with, not that let's start much. With just regular season. Yeah, probably. Because we assume this is a playoff team, but who knows? You probably try to stagger them as much as possible. But if I assume that all of them are going to play at least 30 minutes a game in the regular season, which is a pretty good estimation, mm-hmm. there's going to be some crossover in the middle of the game. Late second quarter, maybe when you're heading into half, you're trying to get uh, some sort of uh, a lead there. Coming out of half, when everybody's kind of boosted their energy a little bit, and I could see. Probably at least like 20 minutes a game where the three of them are on the court at the same time. And think about it from the perspective of what Frank Vogel last worked with, too. Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis all at one time. I do remember stretches, not vividly, but bits and pieces where it's just Russ and AD. Or it's just LeBron and AD. And not very often is it all three of them at the same time. So to your point, it might be points during games where it's just Beal and Durant because it works out that way. It's just Beal and Booker because it works out that way. It's just Booker, Durant, etc. I still wonder if he's going to be able to adjust to a role that is not number one. Like, for example, what Aaron Gordon had to adjust to when he went from being essentially the number one in Orlando to number three, number four in Denver. But... It worked out well because he was understanding of his role. Yeah, I compare it more to the Miami Heat in 2010 when LeBron James and Chris Bosh joined Dwayne Wade in Miami. In this case, the Bradley Beal of it all is Chris Bosh. 
Because yes. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player on the planet at that point. Dwayne Wade is certainly up there as well and had already won a championship with Shaquille O'Neal a couple of years prior. Mm-hmm. So Chris Bosh was the easy odd man out. He was the obvious Bradley Beal of that situation. Coming from a team that wasn't as good as them, the Toronto Raptors, where he was clearly the number one option, how does he fit? And if you remember, the Heat did not connect on, on all cylinders at first. The start of that first season was rough. It was rough. Very it took rough. time, but obviously they end up going to four finals in a row. I don't think anybody is lamenting uh, the process that they went through. By all means, no. But Chris Bosh definitely had an adjustment period where he had to take a step back and realize, okay, I play a role now. I'm not the guy. And in some ways, that's probably refreshing that you're not having that pressure on your shoulders at all times. Sure. But... You're going to reach points in games, especially in the postseason, where, you know, we're not playing offense anymore. It's Devin and Kevin rolling around trying to pick up double teams and Bradley Beal in the corner waiting for a catch and shoot opportunity. I don't mean to pigeonhole Chris Bosh and what he meant to that Miami Heat run, but do you think it's easier to kind of take a step aside when you're a big man as opposed to another guard? Offensively, maybe, but Chris Bosh was a very versatile offensive player. Right, he Again, could shoot. I'm not trying to diminish yeah. crit, diminish Chris, but sometimes it's not the easiest thing in the world. And I'm saying this coming off of a NBA champion where the center was basically the focal point of everything. But it's not often that the center is the focal point of everything, right? Whereas a guard in a guard era of NBA basketball is predominantly the ball handler, the scorer, the setter-upper, whatever you properly want to call it. The maestro. I just, I'm very curious how this is going to work out. Now, where I think the Suns have an advantage is because they have one guy that went to a super team and was able to figure it out in Kevin Durant when he went to the Warriors and joined dudes that had already won a title. Yeah, they were established. And that had already worked out very, very well together. So I wonder if Beal is just going to be very accepting of taking a step back, or is it going to be somebody else that's taking a usage step back in well, all of this? The one that, and we're going to get more into this as the show progresses, but the one that really intrigues me is DeAndre Ayton, because according to Gambo, over the last couple of days, I've heard him say multiple times, it's starting to feel like the Suns are going to keep him around. Trev and I talked about it last week. Uh, I think you said something, Trevor, about... You, uh, you might just have to feel comfortable with players that stick around. Remember we talked about that? Where Oh, yeah. It, it, it's weird. It seems like semantics, but, uh, you know, for a player under contract, if you're not trading them, you just got to be okay with that. And here's the problem about that and why I thought they were more likely to trade Aiton after trading for Beal is DeAndre Ayton got very frustrated with Monty Williams and the Suns coaching staff at the end of that Mavericks series last year in the postseason, he was livid because he wasn't getting the ball on offense. And if he wasn't getting the ball on offense then, and since then you've acquired Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal, he's certainly not going to get as many touches on offense now. No. So is he going to have the right attitude? Not only is Bradley Beal's usage probably going to go down on on average – DeAndre Ayton's is going to go down, and how does he feel about that? We're also asking if a dude who can – who hasn't had the right attitude for the past two seasons can have the right attitude now. Can he sacrifice for the betterment of the team? And in a lot of ways, he's already done that. 
So I do want to give him some credit there. But I just don't know if he's been accepting of it, though. He's done it. Has he been accepting of it? That's where the, I worry. Is this the group of guys that he can flourish offensively around? I don't know the answer to that question yet. We'll be talking all about the ramifications of the Bradley Beal acquisition. You'll also want to hear what Chris Paul had to say about joining his new, new team. Three teams in a week. But next, <laughs> the Diamondbacks. Hot, hot, hot. At least until yesterday. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Now the pitch crushed. Deep left center field. It's a home run for Bailey. His fourth of the year. The Diamondbacks now find themselves trailing the Giants 8-4. to It's Chris Caragiola on the call for the Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday. They have a bit of a problem, one that they're kind of familiar with, if you want to compare it to something that happened earlier in the season. The problem is you have two really, really good starting pitchers, and then you have three nowhere near as good starting pitchers. I actually like Tommy Henry, so I kind of want to leave him out of this conversation for the time being. And had a really good start against the Nationals a couple days ago. Yeah. I think that the problem lies with Zach Davies, specifically, if you want to look at yesterday's game, it's kind of encapsulating of this conversation. And then there's Ryan Nelson, who Ryan Nelson, who has had a really rough go at it as well. But they've shown a lot of confidence in him by leaving him in the rotation during a season where this team is so competitive and so ahead of schedule that they've been willing to make the difficult decisions to try to improve the team in the here and now. For instance... Earlier in the season, Madison Bumgarner struggled mightily. Really was a continuation of how much he struggled at the end of last season. And the year before. And, and the year before. As much the- money as they owed him, as many rings as he has from San Francisco, they made the difficult decision to eat the contract and DFA him. Because it was for the betterment of the team at a time when they felt they could be competitive. If they weren't competitive, they weren't winning games the way they are. I don't think they make that decision with Bumgarner. Agreed. Then they go and they send Jake McCarthy to the minor leagues because he was struggling at the plate. Then they send Alec Thomas a little while later. And both of those guys figured it out at the minor league level and are back and contributing in a big way right now. So they have a decision that they have to make. Probably a couple, but we could focus in on Davies for now. Zach Davies is not having a good year. No. He missed some time due to injury. He's got eight starts in which he has 35 and two-thirds innings. He's got a whip of 1.82. That's really bad. And an ERA of 7.82. Those are numbers that are catastrophic and even bigger than Bumgarner's. Six runs in four innings last night against the Giants. Nine runs, eight earned in three and two-thirds innings against Cleveland in that game that they got blown out at home. Six runs, four of them earned in three innings against Philly, also at home. He had two better starts on the road against Washington, not a threat in 62 thirds innings, and at home against Colorado, again, not a threat. And then he had another blow up, five runs in four and a third innings back in April against the Dodgers. The five starts in June, he is one and three with a nine ERA in 23 innings. That's bad. That's very bad. And listen, this isn't me trying to attack Zach Davies because he's actually been in the league over seven years. He's got over seven years of service time, which means that and he's had some good seasons. Sure. You can't just send him down to the minor leagues like those other guys. He's been in the league too long, so that's not really an option. He's 30 years old. 
Uh, to your point, he had a couple of good years. That San Diego year in 2020 was actually pretty strong. Um, I think he had his moments in Milwaukee in his first couple of seasons. But Zach Davies right now is not a good starting pitcher, and it's a time when the Diamondbacks are trying to be as competitive as possible. They might have the MVP of the entire National League on their team. They have two guys who might be starting in the outfield in the All-Star game and a couple other guys who might be in that game as well. Now is the time. You're winning in the NL West, a very competitive division where the Giants have gone on a tear lately, where the Dodgers are still the Dodgers, despite all the pitching that has been injured. Uh, you've still got to deal with the Padres. Five hundred, like yeah. Let's, let's not let's not rule them out. Like these teams that spent money and have players that are underperforming, they are still teams that spent money and the players are underperforming. So for me to just discount them immediately is it's asinine. So in let's, my opinion, let's say that the Diamondbacks decide to DFA Zach Davies, which I'm in favor for. Okay, let's say that happens. I'm going to give you two scenarios. You tell me what you would rather do. Okay, you either call up a pitcher. From AAA Reno to replace him. My guess is that's probably Brandon Fought, their top pitching prospect. He got one stint in the majors already this season. Didn't Dre, go great. Dre is also in the majors right now, if you want to move him out of the pen. But Tori Lovello, if memory serves, said that he is beyond the point where they can make him a starter again this season. Well, then make him a closer. That's a joke. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, so either you call somebody up like a Brandon Fought, or you go and make a June trade for a starting pitcher to replace Davies in this rotation. And there's plenty of options if you can find the right partner. The problem is a lot of these teams right now, and we're watching a couple of them right now in the Cubs and the Cardinals, the Cardinals are mega underperforming. They have one more win than the Rockies this year. That's how underperforming they are. They are last in the NL Central. And this is a team that has pedigree and has a lot of really good players on their team. But they're the third worst team in the National League right now. Are they in a position to sell? Do they even want to sell? Who knows? But if they decide to go that way, there's some guys on the Cardinals that could really help the Diamondbacks right now. In the rotation specifically? In the rotation specifically. I'll get to the full list later, but just from the Cardinals alone, okay, these are guys that have at least one win above replacement this season in the Cardinals rotation. Jordan Montgomery who's left-handed, that would be a nice variable for your rotation. That would balance out the rotation a little, yeah. Miles Michaelis, who actually has a similar story to that of Merrill Kelly, where he tried for the majors, eventually went to Japan, came back, nice little comeback story there. And then the other one is Jack Flaherty, but he's having the worst of the three season-wise. Yeah, he's probably the most high-profile of the three, but that doesn't necessarily make him the best this season. Well, look what the last high-profile guy did for the Diamondbacks, and where is he now? In Madison Baumgartner. He's on the street. It's not all about high profile. It's about getting the job done. And I can tell you right now, I don't care what Davies' profile is. He's not getting the job done. So Montgomery is the best option of those guys that you named. I'd prefer him out of the three. He's having the best season. If memory serves, is he a rental? I can't remember what his contract I think he's got one or two years like. left or he's in his arbitration years. Because he's been around longer than people seem to remember. Yes. He was in New York uh, before he was in. I mean, he's 30 years old. Uh, yeah, I like the idea of Jordan Montgomery. I could be down for that. I could be down for that. He would be a rental. Yeah, and that's tough because Mike Hazen has shown in the past that he likes to make trades for players, you, especially pitchers. But do you that believe he has in the team over. this year? Do you believe in the team I that do. is playing right now? I do, and I certainly think he'd be a better option than Zach. Because if you do, then I don't think a rental should be a deterrent, right? 
depending on what you're giving up. Sure. And I don't think Jordan Montgomery is going to command like, I don't know, Bumgarner was 585 when they signed him a couple of years ago. I don't think Jordan Montgomery is going to command anywhere close to that unless he just, you know, blows everybody out of the water. But he's not alone. He's not the only guy that they could look at. Okay. There's a bunch of other names that the Diamondbacks could look at right now on teams that are underperforming or below 500 or could be seen as sellers. These are all guys who have at least a one win above replacement or higher. Okay. Give me some names. The highest of the bunch who I don't know if they're going to move him because apparently their ownership thinks they're going to be buyers instead. Marcus Stroman with the Cubs. Yeah, so Ricketts came out and said that the Cubs should be buyers, not sellers. It's a weak NL Central. Uh, Very weak. Just from the game we're watching today in the London series is going on, by the way. The Cubs are demolishing the Cardinals, so if that's any indication. Cubs are four behind the Reds for first place. Yeah, I'm not sold that they want to sell, that they want to get rid of their best pitcher. And Marcus Stroman has been nothing short of phenomenal this season. So that's a really hard one. And he's a complete rental, too, isn't he? There's no control over that. He would be, yes. I think he has a player option, but he's going to opt out and hit the market, especially if he's pitching as well as he has been. Uh, that might cost you some prospects that you and I don't want to lose. That might cost you Brandon Fought. I'm assuming the Cubs. But are you will willing to on. give up the prospects if it means trying to win a World Series? Drew Jones. No. Look, there's Jordan off, Lawler. Hey, there's off the table names. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Jordan Lawler. You think the Cubs aren't going to ask for that though? Well, they're not going to get it for Marcus Stroman. Then you're probably not getting Marcus Stroman. All right, that's my ju- point. Let me just reel off some more real quick. Okay. Mitch Keller with the Pirates. But again, a really good as year. we mentioned, NL Central, it's a little a little wonky. Sure, Dylan Cease with the White Sox, another division that's in flux. White Sox are seven out of first place, thirty two and forty five. Okay, Cease is okay, but you know he, he almost won the Cy Young. Sticking with the White Sox, Lucas Giolito having a bit of a bounce back year. Yeah, he's but been really good on the verge of his final year as well. Johan Oviedo, kind of a sneaky one for the Pirates, left hander, but. You can get a solid starter out of the Pirates organization. Who knows what they could do for you? And then the last one, Corbin Burns. Tricky because the Brewers are above 500, one and a half out of first place and are perennial contenders in the Central. His strikeouts are way down this season. Same could be uh, said of Shane Bieber if you wanted to throw him in the conversation. Um, I'm thinking Corbin Burns is going to be pretty expensive in arbitration next year. He made about $10 million this year. And remember how gonna, that went. Who do you think is going to be more expensive, though, to get? Marcus Stroman or Corbin Burns? Stroman. He's pitching, really? a, lot. He's pitching, a, he's pitching a lot better. I realize that it's it's one less year of, con, uh, of contract uh, control, but I think Stroman's the better player right now. Corbin Burns has been fantastic over the last couple of seasons, but also the Brewers really ticked off their fan base when they traded Josh Hader. Yeah, that was really And then they weird. ticked off Corbin Burns when they did the arbitration thing with him and Which told him he wasn't I worth it. Which is why I think he'd be willing to leave. It's why I think the Brewers wouldn't want to tick off the fans again by trading him when well, they could win the division. Well, they already screwed that up. Well, I think they don't want to do it again. That's just my guess. But those are some interesting names. Coming up next, uh, a big ramification of the Bradley Beal trade for the Suns was the fact that Chris Paul is no longer a member of the Phoenix Suns. We can look back on the legacy that he helped build in Phoenix. How did the organization change thanks to Chris Paul? And how does he fit with his new team, which is in the same division? We're going to dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
Mitch Farrell, this is Steve Zinsmeister here with you in the auction community studios. Trevor Henry behind the glass, keeping us company here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. The Bradley Beal trade is official, by the way. The Suns are sending out the tweets, the media releases, all that stuff. I got to admit, uh, shout out to the graphic artist that's making Bradley Beal look pretty fly in the in the black, white, and orange oh, as I cool. try to turn my monitor and bang into the uh, crane that's no, on the No, I saw it. That's cool. You're looking good. It's feeling real. Is it? Just generally speaking, because I'm curious, does it feel the same as when they got Kevin Durant, or does this feel less, more? Um, no, it doesn't feel the same to me at all. Uh, the Kevin Durant thing happened midseason. It also took so much time. Remember when we yeah. first started talking about Durant was after they lost to the Mavericks in, in round two. It actually started when I left the arena after game seven, and all the people in the street were already talking about, like, can we get Kevin Durant? Can, can we do that? <laughs> and I know that that's like what every team does. The Miami Heat lost in the finals, and everyone was like, can we get Bradley Beal? Yeah. Can we get Damian Lillard? What, can we do that? So uh, it took so long for the Kevin Durant thing to come to fruition. And is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Will they take Aiton? Will they take Bridges? Do they take all our picks? And so it feels a lot different to me because also, too, the Durant thing happened like within 12 hours of Matt Ishbia taking over control of the team. What so a weird stretch it's been. That had an urgency to it that was different because the Bradley Beal thing was quicker. So in a lot of ways, it was more urgent in that way, mm-hmm. but it hadn't been developing. It hadn't been festering with the fan base for so long. We were all so thirsty for Kevin Durant because we knew it was a possibility for like eight months before it even happened. Well, so there was yours experience with it, and then it started to become really, really real on the, what was it, June 30th when he had requested the trade, and then the right. following report came out that it's like he wants to go to Miami or he wants to go to Phoenix, and that's it. And we were like, Ooh. and it was literally an entire <laughs> summer of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah. It almost feels like this one came out of nowhere. And then next thing you know, it was done. That's certainly how I felt on Saturday last week when uh, Sham Sharani put it out there that Bradley Beal was interested in either Phoenix or Miami because he has a no trade clause. So right. he had to want to go there. And we talked about that last weekend. Like, it's kind of nice that all of a sudden you've got the Kevin Durants and the Bradley Beals of the world who want to come to Phoenix. It's right. not just their team dumping them on you. They wanted to be here. And like if you're a true NBA head and you pay deep attention to all 30 teams in the league, the Bradley Beal in Washington situation, it wasn't going to last much longer. Probably not. Yeah, no. he signed the Supermax extension. Yeah, he wanted to be with the Wizards, blah, blah, blah. No, that wasn't lasting for much I want to get my money. Exactly. And then we'll figure out where I play later. Exactly. That's the NBA. And he found out where he wanted to play. Someone else who needed to find out where he was going to play as a part of this trade, Chris Paul. Yeah. Traded from the Suns to the Wizards and then rerouted from Washington to the Golden State Warriors. Now, I don't know if that part is official yet, but given that the Beal to the Suns deal is official, I'd have to imagine that the Wizards are soon putting out a press release that Paul is going to the Warriors. Yeah. And it's, I got to be honest, I don't know how you reacted in the immediate, but I was I was staring at my computer at my desk out there. And I remember looking at the computer screen and I'm thinking, what, 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 why, what, what is happening? I, I, I wasn't exacerbated or exasperated. I wasn't reaching for words. I just, I didn't understand what I was reading and why I was reading it. Yeah, so I've actually changed my opinion on this over the last couple of days. 
And not a dramatic swing, but I'll walk you through it. So uh, Trev and I had talked about last week the possibility of Chris Paul getting traded to Washington and then waived and picked up elsewhere. So we talked about the fact that he could be on three different teams in a week. Right. That ended up happening. But instead of getting waived in Washington, they just traded him essentially for Jordan Poole. Um, Was I surprised? I guess the team that he ended up with. Golden State surprised me a little bit. I thought that he wanted to be in L.A. It's where his family is. Uh, He's certainly friends with LeBron, so the Lakers would have made sense. They've Mm -hmm. shown interest. Mm -hmm. Uh, He showed interest in going back to the Clippers, um, which I thought was an interesting fit, although it seems like they have too many ball handlers. And too many guys that get hurt. Yeah, that too. Uh, Initially, I thought the basketball fit with Golden State made zero sense to me. He's an older point guard who's going to make $30 million this season. He plays the same position as Steph. They couldn't be more different as players. Steph is a a long-range sniper, whereas Chris is more of a distributor at this point in his career. He actually shot the ball very well last year. I want to give him credit for that. But he doesn't really play the way the Warriors do. But over time, I've come to realize this is a money thing. Because there's a new CBA, there's new rules against teams that spend a ton of money. And the Suns are going to be one of those teams, by the way. Yep. But the Warriors were already spending crazy amounts of money. And now Draymond Green is on the market and is going to get some big offers from other teams. Maybe the Kings? Throwing that out there. But let's let's be real for a second. Draymond declines his option. The Warriors have traded away the messy contract that they gave out to Jordan Poole. Right. And have now taken in Chris Paul, who's basically on an expiring deal. Thirty million, it's expensive for a backup. Thirty million yeah. for one year versus thirty for the next four. Right. For each of the next four. That's what it is. Draymond's going back to Golden State. I agree. He's either go- he- and here's how I see it. And this is obviously how it was going to work out anyway, but I see it as he's either going to take a one year, lot of money, last ride with the all the fellas in Golden State. We're going to give it one last shot at a title and then blow it up. I don't care. Or they're going to give him a four-year, whatever it is, million-dollar money that essentially replaces what the pool contract was. Yeah, I don't think he'll make the money that Pool did. No, 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 no. But it replaces that. But yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like they're going to invest in Draymond long term. Here's the thing: you've got a new GM in Mike Dunleavy Jr., who's replacing Bob Myers, who's arguably the best GM in the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, they clearly decided as an organization, we made this investment in pool and now our team is kind of in flux because of it. Well, Draymond punched him (laughs) in the face. And so they're like, if we want to bring Draymond Green back, let's be honest, which player did they have to bring back long-term for the fans to be happy? Draymond Draymond Green or Jordan Poole? Draymond. Bingo. The pool party. So you make Draymond happy by getting rid of Jordan Poole. Yes. So there's no longer that tension. They actually side with the guy who punched the other guy. It seems weird, but he's, you know, they he's sided, Draymond. They sided with the guy who's won four titles. And you bring in a guy like Chris Paul where uh, even if the basketball fit isn't ideal, you have the arguably the best coach in the league in Steve Kerr, mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame point guard in Steph Curry, another Hall of Fame point guard in Chris Paul. Everywhere Chris Paul has gone the last five years or so, the team gets dramatically better. And they made the he playoffs. went to Oklahoma City. He was top five in MVP voting. He went to Phoenix, completely flipped this organization from the abyss and the laughing stock that they were to now all of a sudden they're in the NBA Finals. They're getting Kevin Durant. They're making wild trades for Bradley Beal. To Chris Paul's credit, everywhere he goes, the team gets better. It makes a lot of sense for uh, the Warriors. I mean, 
financially. And, I, you know, I think maybe they just figure out the basketball stuff later. And if it gets some Draymond Green back, all the better. I think that's what this was. Chris Paul has made the postseason in 2008, 9, missed it in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. How many titles? How many titles? I can't answer the question if there is no answer. He didn't win any titles. And but, that's always going to be the narrative, right? If he doesn't do it. But this is very much a business decision, is it not? You go to the Warriors, who have won four titles in basically the last decade, if you want to stretch it out to 10 years. They've won four titles in the last decade. Am I supposed to believe that a team that finally restructures its roster to focus on its core three is just not going to play like the Warriors that we know them to be? No, I, I actually think Chris Paul needs the Warriors more than the Warriors need Chris oh, 100%. Paul. 100%. And, I, I, and that's why I think it makes sense for him, not that he had a say in any of this. Well, he probably did. You think he went to the Warriors and said, hey, no, no, no. to the I Wizards? I think he and, went to the Wizards and was like, hey, I don't want to play for y'all. Or the Wizards went to him and said, hey, I think that's we want to do right by you. I think that's true, but I don't know that he necessarily picked the Warriors. You see what I mean? Because if he truly wanted to be on whatever team he wanted, he could have gone to the Wizards and said, wave me. Did he even want to go to L.A., though? I, I think he so did. So here's what I mean by I think he made a business decision. Do you think the Lakers are going to win a title next year? Which team? The Lakers? The Lakers. Uh, Probably not. Do you think the Clippers are going to win a title next year? Probably not. Do you think the Warriors are going to win a title next year? Maybe. And I think Chris Paul thinks that, too. Yeah. There's a higher chance there than anywhere else. I think he would have been looking at three teams. The one he was just on in Phoenix, the team that just won the title, and the team that has the pedigree to win title year after year after year. And, and I do want to give credit. It's going to be one of those three, and he already had to rule one out, and that kind of only leaves one team left. I think the Lakers would have made some sense. I do want to give them some credit. They made sense, it further in the playoffs than the Warriors did. It makes sense, but does it make sense for Chris Paul? I don't think it does. Maybe not. Like, if he wants, and we all know he does, if he wants to win a title, this is his best shot next to the Suns. It's like I said, at first it didn't make any sense to me, but I am kind of turning around on this Chris Paul to the Warriors thing. Does it scare you, though? Doesn't As scare me, fan. no. Doesn't scare me? Well, then I guess but we have I, I do to, feel it's going to end up pretty well. Then I guess we have nothing to worry about, right? Nothing. Not nothing. <laughs> Certainly not nothing. Not the Warriors nothing. are always something to worry about. <laughs> Coming up next, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, probably. All-star starter? Yeah, probably. MVP? Oh. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mission Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Could the Arizona Diamondbacks not only have the NL Rookie of the Year, but the MVP on their roster? Maybe a Cy Young winner, too, to be honest. Corbin Carroll, we all expected to be in the running for Rookie of the Year. Yes. Coming into this season. He was the preseason favorite to there win There were a it. couple other good names. Jordan Walker for the Cardinals certainly was going to work his way into that conversation. Mm -hmm. James Outman played really well for the Dodgers in the first month and worked his way into that mm -hmm. as well. Um, but it's pretty much Corbin Carroll right now. You can make a discussion around uh, Ellie De La Cruz and how exciting he is, but he came up so much later in the season, and we can compare the two here in a minute. But sure. for all intents and purposes, Corbin Carroll is on pace to win Rookie of the Year easily. He's Run also away. in the MVP discussion, too. 
I think Ronald Acuna Jr. is probably leading that if there is a race there already. Uh, they have similar numbers. OPS is comparable. Home runs is comparable. Uh, they both play on really competitive teams. But the one difference is Ronald Acuna is stealing bases like no other. He's got over 30 steals. And Corbin Carroll's doing quite well in that category as well, but he's right. not at 30. So I do think Acuna probably has the slight edge on him if it were to be a race that was decided today. But just the fact that Corbin Carroll's in that conversation as a rookie is insane. There's only been, what, two Rookie of the Years that also won MVP. If I'm remembering right, they were both in the American League. One was Ichiro, and the other one was Fred Lynn. Yes. I mean, to be one of three people to do it would be pretty remarkable. You know what I find more remarkable? So right now on a uh, betting website that I use frequently that I will not name, Corbin Carroll is plus 500 to win the MVP. He has the second shortest odds behind Acuna, the aforementioned Acuna. Yeah. I want to show you a picture, a screenshot that I grabbed on Friday, June 9th. So two weeks ago, two-ish weeks ago, I'm going to show you the picture. Okay. Now understand that I didn't end up placing this bet because I didn't have the necessary funds, but can you please tell me what the odds were for Corbin Carroll to win MVP in this photo? Two weeks ago. That is plus, is that 20,000? Plus 20,000. Wow. Two weeks ago. Wow. And he's second favorite right now. Yeah, he's been really hot lately. There's no doubt about that. Just the fact that he's worked his way into that conversation is insane. I mean, we all knew he was a what, good player, right? Let's but, be real. Like, what did we expect? Did we did we expect Rookie of the Year? Yeah. Did we expect On a lot of levels, I did. Did uh, we expect All-Star? All-Star? Probably not. Did we expect MVP? De- definitely not. Did we expect, at this pace, 30-30? 30, 30, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases? Mm, I didn't. I thought maybe 20 to 25 homers. Steals, I definitely thought 30. I think we are now in at the point where we can talk about Corbin Carroll accomplishing four things this year. Rookie of the year, which seems to be the lock, right? Yeah. All-star, it feels like it. I mean, All-star game starter, which hasn't been done since 2019 for the Diamondbacks when Cattell Marte started. MVP, which he has the second shortest odds to win in the National League. And... He could be the first 30-30 to hit 30 home runs and to steal 30 bases since Cedric Mullins did it back in 2021 for the Orioles. That would be one hell of a rookie season for a team that desperately needs a boost. Publicly, financially, too. They just need somebody that they haven't had since Paul Goldschmidt was traded away. He's already their best player. Yes. And I would even venture to say best player position or play, or pitcher. And Zach Gallen is a pretty darn good established pitcher in this league. And, right. and I mentioned earlier, he might win the Cy Young. There's a chance. And by the way, there's another guy named Merrill Kelly who statistically is nearly identical to Zach Gallen, if not better in certain areas this season. Zach Gallen is currently the favorite to win Cy Young at plus 190. Who else is in there? For the National League, do you have Clayton a list? Kershaw is second at plus 450. He certainly won a couple Zach of Zach Wheeler with the Phillies at plus 700. Logan Webb with the Giants, who they just saw last night, at plus 750. Now you know why. Uh, Stroman, Marcus Stroman with the Cubs at plus 1,200. And then Spencer Strider with the Braves, plus 1,500. Yeah, Zach Allen's got more than a chance at winning that thing. Like, is this going to be the banner year for the Diamondbacks? Like, are they going to win the NL West? Are they going to have the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year, an all-star game starter, maybe multiple all-star game starters. We'll get more into that later. And maybe the MVP of the National League, a title and an award 
that, if I'm not mistaken, has never been given to an Arizona Diamondback. Never. Goldie lost out to Ryan Braun? No. I think it was Giancarlo Stanton. I was going to say McCutcheon. But Gonzo never won an MVP? Now i got to go back and look. Right? No, I don't think so. The 07 Diamondbacks, who were a really good team, they never had an MVP. Uh, Randy never won one. As a Cy Young winner starter. multiple times, but never won an MVP. Yeah, so... I'm pretty sure the Diamondbacks have never had an MVP. I don't and think it could so. be Corbin Carroll in his rookie year to be the first to get it. So, Goldie won an MVP last year in St. Louis. Back in his time with Arizona, he was in this order. In his third season, he was second... Uh, he was second again in 2015. He was 11th, third in 2017, and sixth in 2018. So he was in the race several times. Let's see, where did he finish? He finished behind McCutcheon in 2013, and he finished behind Bryce Harper in 2015. So he's been in that discussion a couple of times, but never, never won, never won the award. If you look at ESPN, they have a nice little archive thing of Diamondbacks awards. I control F to MVP. I see three, but NLCS MVP, Craig Council, and then two World Series MVPs in Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. They've never had a regular season MVP. Corbin Carroll could do it in his first season. That's remarkable. Now, Acuna came into the season with those expectations of winning an MVP. And he's on the best team in the National League right now. He's on a great team. They won a World Series without him because he was injured. And... So he's like icing on the on the cake, yeah, for Atlanta. But he comes into the season and clearly he's just on a revenge tour. Where sure. I missed so much time that now I'm out to. I need to remind people how good I am. And bingo! And he's starting in the All Star game. He received more votes than anybody in the National League, and he should. Yeah, and he should. He's already got 30 stolen bases. We're in late June. He's going to be. He's without a doubt a 30 30 guy. I think so, yeah. Without a doubt. Corbin Carroll, I'm hoping, gets there, and that would be huge. Like you mentioned, the last person to do it is Mullins a couple of years ago. That's a pretty good player, by the way. An yeah. interesting player comp to uh, Corbin Carroll at this point in his career. Yeah, listen, he's having a phenomenal year. I don't want to heap too much expectation on him because he is so young, and he is, I mean, he got some action last year. I want to say maybe a little less than 100 plate appearances last season, but he's having a phenomenal rookie year. There's no... There's no way around it. And you made comparisons earlier to uh, the Ichiro year. This is a kid who's from the Seattle area. Yep. The All-Star game is in Seattle for the first time since 2001 when Ichiro won the Rookie of the Year and the the MVP. I mean, tell me this isn't some sort of baseball destiny. How is this not destiny? Honestly. It has to be. Like, when Phase 2 voting starts next week, Corbin Carroll is likely to be voted as an All-Star starter. How is this not destiny? He's one of, what, four guys in the outfield who are in the final voting? Him, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Mookie Betts, and Michael Harris. How is Corbin Carroll not going to be voted an all-star starter? Is Acuna not a part of that process? Acuna's already in. He's already in, okay. Right. So it's all the other guys. So there's only four guys. And Gurriel's been really cold lately, so I don't want to say he's not an all-star, but he hasn't been playing like one lately. Um, And to your point earlier, they're going to have some other guys that are in that all-star discussion. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how this season plays out. I don't want to put too much expectation on him, but man, has he exceeded all expectations? Really quickly, because you mentioned Ellie De La Cruz, and I just want yeah. to t- I want to touch on those Cincinnati Reds really quickly. They're very hot. They've won 12 straight. They sold out yesterday against yeah. the Braves. Bob Nightingale quote tweeted the tweet when it was put out there by the Reds that they sold out. 
The Reds, who drew the smallest crowd, 7,375, in their ballpark's 21-year history on April 17th against the Rays of this year, could sell out the entire weekend series versus Atlanta. Here's the reason why I bring that up. We just talked about a guy who's probably going to be the rookie of the year. He's probably going to start in the All-Star game. He could be the MVP. He could have a 30-30, maybe even a 40-40 season. This team is in first place. They're the second best in the National League. And yet, I'm not hearing about sellouts. I'm not hearing about excitement for this team locally, at least on a broader level. Is it really going to take a 12-game winning streak for you to sell out Chase Field? Really? Like, is that going to be necessary? Does it have to be necessary? Here's the thing. Uh, The Reds, everything is clicking at the same time. Matt McClain comes up. He's phenomenal. Ellie De La Cruz comes up. He's the biggest name in baseball right now. Uh, They've got a bunch of pitchers who have come up. Abbott's been fantastic. Ashcraft has been good at times. Look, you're saying all this, and Uh, I can throw Diamondbacks at you that are doing the exact same thing. I get it. I get it. Cincinnati's also much different as a market than Arizona. Arizona's a transient market. And they're a much younger organization. A lot of the fan base is younger because they just haven't been around as long as the Reds have. So I think it's a little bit different of a conversation, but an interesting point that you bring up about, like, they're kind of two organizations going through things at a similar pace. They're both way ahead of schedule. Way. So to compare the two, and later, I want to compare Corbin Carroll to L.A. De La Cruz. Ooh. Because I think that there's an interesting conversation there as well. But coming up next... The Bradley Beal trade is official as of like, I don't know, like half an hour ago. So what are all the ramifications of this trade? It's official. We're talking about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday.